So as promised in earlier episodes, we have our IR special team joining us today, Ray Shippers and Team Otis. Thank you for your time and joining us today, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks. And uh, we're going to discuss a really interesting topic you have. Yeah, so in their May patch Tuesday, Microsoft informed of a special patch covering uh, a warmable vulnerability in RDP, in Remote Desktop Protocol, uh, which could allow attackers to execute arbitrary code without user input. Um, it affects Windows 7, Windows Server 2008, 2003 and XP. So it's, an, um, it's a special uh, update. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's definitely quite unique that uh, Microsoft was patching out-of-date and obsolete systems uh, that were end-of-life. And it definitely uh, kind of amped up uh, the urgency and sense of urgency. But in our experience, unfortunately, customers are still quite slow to patch. Uh, and a lot of customers turn to us for virtual patches and, and protections uh, rather than trying to mitigate the actual uh, vulnerability. The Microsoft blog instantly said it was wormable right away. And Krebs wrote an article the next day that instantly said it's wormable right away. And it causes a lot of panic in the world around our customers and uh, looking for information. There was not a lot of information about the vulnerability at first. Um, every security re researcher in the world basically started reversing the patch. You know, like back in 2006, when we wanted to figure out what a patch did or how it fixed something, we would just take the DLLs, bin diff them basically, reverse, reverse them, yeah. reverse it, and then f then write uh, IPS protection around it. Um, here we had no data, so every every researcher in the world is is reversing it. But but yeah, it's it's also interesting that uh, it, it's wormable because we're still seeing so many customers with IDP exposed to the internet. I think it was like a million vulnerable internet exposed systems. And apart from obviously the IDP vulnerability, we're starting to, we're seeing so much ransomware associated with these IDP attacks as well. We've been looking at RDP exposed to the world for a while. Um, last summer, there were, last summer I looked and then last fall there were more. So over last year, the, the amount of RDPs exposed to the world, like if you look on Census or Shodan, there was more and more and more. It's I surprising. Thought, I thought it would be less. Yeah, I mean, right? you, you think that all, with all of the discussion about don't expose your RDP servers or at least use it over a VPN connection would actually get to people. And, 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 and obviously, that's not the case. I mean, if, you're seeing, if you guys are seeing an escalate in, in terms of numbers, then obviously something is not working. By the way, one thing I do want, maybe want to discuss before we go on to the what are we getting infected with when we're exposing that sort of vulnerability out is why do customers are looking, are so desperately looking for um, an IPS protection, for example, or any kind of protection rather than just patching the server, since I'm not 100% sure that our listeners know that how critical and how problematic is patching a system that didn't get a patch for like three or four years, I believe? Yes, yeah, so, 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 <clears throat> so obviously they might not have backups, there might be a whole lot of issues with that. Also, a lot of these systems could be running medical devices, could be running uh, other systems that may not be allowed to be patched because of regulatory requirements. Uh, so we do see a lot of that. Then we see wonderful things like ATMs, which are out in the field. In my past experience, I actually uh, helped uh, manage um, 
endpoint systems running uh, XP embedded, which again are an absolute nightmare to patch. We had thousands out in the field over really slow links, so even just getting a patch out to them is difficult. Um, then you have other customers where patching is just slow because of change control, and then obviously you have other customers who want a signature just to see if somebody's knocking at their front door. But what our intelligence has also shown, and we have sensors for it, is that scanning doesn't mean exploitation. So and I think it's important that customers kind of understand the difference that just because somebody's scanning for a vulnerability doesn't mean they either have the capability or will immediately exploit it. They're probably just building up an interesting target list to see which doors they can then come back and knock on later on. Can we say right now and like pause it, not, not this, but in the world and stop and turn off RDP. If you're exposing it to the world, stop. Um, there's so many uh, vulnerability. You know, um, partners of our customers, when we deal with incident and response cases, always have a, some some excuse, I would say, to say, uh, you know, our partner needed RDP access. They demanded RDP access. And so the customer always opens it, allows them in to do their thing and leaves it open, totally open. Um where if they were coming over VPN or something like that, it would be much better. So we always encourage our customers, our incident response customers, demand your people come, your your partners, everyone else come over our, uh, VPN to access RDP. It's really yeah. important. And make sure you have multi-factor. And if mm -hmm. you can tie down the source IP where it's coming from, do that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, just reduce the attack surface. It, it may increase your admin costs in the short term, but in the long term, the cost of these ransomware attacks and other cyber attacks that we've been seeing are much, much, much larger. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be a lot more work for the admin people to configure, you know, a uh, dedicated VPN tunnel and just, you know, worry about all of those uh, two-factor sort of authentications to this specific RDP. But then again, on the long term, it's probably going to save a lot of hustle when someone gets in using this specific RDP connection inside. Yeah, and we've we've seen uh, you know whole companies get you know st stop ceasing to to exist because of these cyber attacks. Uh, we have had uh, we know victims that uh, cease to exist because of an attack. So spending an extra hour or two setting up a VPN or ma making sure your you know your company continues to be able to pay the bills and keep the lights on uh, is probably important. Do you have any specific example about a specific company? I mean, obviously not sharing their names or anything, but... No, there's, there's been a couple of famous examples, I think. Uh, there was a, uh, a code company in, in AWS uh, who had all their infrastructure destroyed. Uh, they ceased to exist. Um, something code, I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but, but there's been a couple of others like that, that uh, due to you know, um, admin mistakes or other reasons, the entire infrastructure has been destroyed and... That's the end of the company. Amazing. Yeah. So the reason we are very interested in understanding who's exposing RDP is because certain ransomware threat actors use RDP to compromise a network, establish persistence. Perhaps if that RDP, if, if they can get, uh, by the way, if you've never Googled it, if you Google fresh RDPs, fresh space RDPs on Google, you'll see that there's peop, there's brute force botnets that get RDP creds and then sell them 
fresh RDPs to, to other people. So I could go and buy a fresh RDP cred and it might be a grandmother's machine that has no access, but it could be a corporate crown jewels that has AD joined machine. And I can just laterally move with no other software all over the network. Right? So those cases is where we see typically the the prevalent one today is Dharma that Dharma ransomware mm -hmm. uses RDP right now. Typically, like every case we get on the hotline, the the punchline of the sad joke is that they exposed RDP to the net to the internet, right? And Dharma basically scanned it and and managed to brute force the 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 credentials. Not exactly Dharma doing it. The threat act. The brute force botnet finds it. It, it finds that like Tim's password is Ferrari one, two, three, mm -hmm. and then gets onto the box. Should I try it by home? Yeah, please Gmail try account? it. I'll send you the IP address later. Great. Good. Um, and you get onto the box and then you try to um, establish a persistence and get some dwell time in there. Do some reconnaissance, right? Where are your backup? Where's the customer's backups? Uh, do they control a, a VM infrastructure from one machine, right? If that's, if we see like backups and VMware infrastructure um, management systems get ransomed up. And if that's the case, the companies kind of, if they have a huge VMware infrastructure and their backups are online, they're in a world of hurt. Yeah, they're going to have to pay eventually probably uh, yeah. yeah absolutely it's amazing the amount of organizations that have you know f foregone tape backups these days and keep it all online uh, and those are the first systems these guys are targeting like we see so many backup systems story error systems getting just destroyed um it's it's, it's actually mind-blowing uh, and we also have to say we're you know, kind of impressed with how quickly these uh, ransomware authors can deploy software inside our environment we've seen over 500 boxes get encrypted within hours uh, whereas most IT departments struggle to uh, deploy a, b a bit of software <laughs> to, to a dozen PCs <clears throat> so, so they have you know they've been monetized and, and they have this deployment down pat uh, and, and they've gotten very good at it unfortunately but the other thing we see is a lot of it is misconfigured. The organizations that we speak to didn't realize RDP was enabled, uh, either because of the cloud, a tick box in a gateway, um, you know, auto-natting, all kinds of wonderful ways they've done it. But a lot of people don't, just don't even realize uh, RDP is exposed. We've had a case, cases before where it's Dharma, like, again, and uh, the, I'll say to, you know, we'll say to the customer on the phone, like, Dharma typically comes in RDP. Why are you exposing RDP? Customer thinks they aren't exposing RDP. And we just do a simple show dance shirts yeah. and, you know, it's there. And we can prove to them that it is open, um, unfortunately. And most of the customers are going through with the recommendations. I mean, they're going through and closing it or they're just staying with you. This is, there's a business justification to it. I just cannot close it right away. So when the entire network is basically on fire, they generally do. Uh, we've had a few customers who didn't, and then they come back two weeks later uh, when they get reinfected, and then they do. Uh, that has happened. <laughs> you learned it the hard way, I guess. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, absolutely, we understand you know, there is business reasons for having these kinds of systems. But with SSL, 
you know, even Microsoft has uh, RDP gateway. So, and you know, you can move it to like an SSL VPN and easily multi-factor that. Um, there's many ways around it. Um, it's not as easy as typing in an IP address. But the other big risk we're seeing is cloud infrastructure. And not a lot of people necessarily realize that cloud infrastructure is uh, is a hanging out there and exposed. So the, the backups, NAS... NAS vendors say it's wonderful to have online backups. You, it's wonderful, but Ray made the point a little bit before about tapes or removable media, whether it's tapes or drives or whatever, have your backups offline, offline. not on the network. And you, know, and you know, the problem is that it seems a sort of a 90s sort of a backup, you know, yeah. having to manage a backup that is sent out of the organization since you don't want to lose it in a fire or a flood or whatever. But then again, nobody can access it online, and then you ensure the fact that even if you have an infection, it wouldn't be able to reach your latest backup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not, so, not even just the latest backup. We're seeing a dull time of between you know, four, four to six weeks to months in some cases. So making sure you can go back far enough with backups is important. But then on the other hand, you have the issues with data loss around backups. Uh, I don't know, I'm sure around the world, but in Australia, we had numerous cases where tapes got lost, receptionists took the tape home, they got robbed, and, and now it's a data loss incident they have to report. So making sure you're encrypting the backups and everything, it's it's easy for us to say. It is more challenging, and it's a, a challenge most organizations face, but it, it, it is critical that uh, that you have some offline backups that you can rely on. I think that, you know, one thing that is also possible, I mean, we had, like, there's, there was a statistic that was published online that threat actors are actually, you know, staying in the network for like on average six months before actually getting revealed. So you also have to make sure that you have backups for uh, a, and, and let's say an extended period of time. So you would have to make sure that you will be able to return to a clean sort of backup, you know, since cleaning a backup is obviously really, really hard once you return from one. Yeah, absolutely. And even just... Uh, putting your backup server and infrastructure not on the domain and just carefully watching it. And I think this kind of pivots to our other key point and the point about uh, actors being inside the environment for six months and IDP brute forcing. Look at your logs. It's amazing how many customers had evidence of the attack inside their logs and either thought they had dealt with the infection appropriately but didn't have the proper plans in place to respond to an attack and didn't clean it properly or just never noticed that the logs were screaming, hey, uh, somebody's brute forcing your IDP that you didn't realize was exposed, and you're going to have to deal with that. Ransomware response is really an exercise of disaster recovery. It's, it, it, you know, IR is one thing, but it's kind of a side. Like, your your stuff's encrypted. Your building's basically burned, kind of. Yeah. So, good good disaster recovery is 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 also key having a plan for incident response and knowing how you're going to grab the data back testing your backups all of these things are so crucial to responding quickly and getting your business back up and we've had numerous cases of Ryuk uh, which currently we're seeing dropped a lot by Emotet and then Trickbot where they picked up the initial Emotet infection uh, it had moved laterally they didn't catch that so they thought yeah we'll just wipe that box no further investigation, no further analysis, no real kind of uh, in-depth investigation on what happened, what security controls failed. And as a result, they missed the movement 
and then six months later they get encrypted. Yep. And the problem is, I think that most organizations in the world do not own, you know, a security team that actually monitors logs and does some threat hunting, and that that's an aspect that does not exist. I mean, for example, if I'm a construction company, and that's what people think. Why would I need a SOC, a SOC team that monitors my, my, my network? I mean, nobody's going to target me, and that is the wrong perception. Everybody's a target, actually. Yeah, if you make money, uh, you are a target. And, and that's kind of the advanced portion of what we call this kind of advanced persistent ransomware, is they understand how much money you have. They look at your public financial filings of how much money you have in the bank, what's your revenue and profit like, which... And even which business units? So we've had numerous customers where they target a specific business unit inside an organization because they know timeliness. So in manufacturing, for example, they will target the plant infrastructure rather than the back payroll that can wait a week. They will target something that has an immediate impact today, and that's where they'll target it and focus it on. Yeah, in the U.S., we're seeing so many cases where manufacturing a vertical is targeted they've never had a government contract they don't have government blueprints or secrets or anything they make plumbing equipment tractor trailer equipment kind of everyday stuff but if their business is inoperable and they can't make what they make on the plant floor they're losing money and the threat actors realize this and exploit that to get their ransom you know, it's funny to say, but sometimes it's probably more profitable, you know, so to speak. I mean, for a company to pay the ransom and not lose like X days off without being able to work due to the encryption. That, that is unfortunately a lot of what we are seeing, that um, they don't have a choice, basically. Um, and and that's, a, that's a huge, huge problem. Uh, and it probably shows that, you know, executive level awareness of the need for security and, and the cost and impact of it. Because the the top the size of the ransom that we're seeing is no longer ten twenty thousand dollars. It's you know millions, uh, and we're seeing up to over ten million dollars of ransom in some cases. Amazing. So it's having huge significant financial impacts to those organizations. I mean, look at Gankrup for example, which recently published that they are stopping their ransomware as a service kind of because they earned a hundred and fifty million dollars over the last year. So they're good. They're going to go buy Ferraris yeah. and they're good. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think he decided, okay, that's enough money for me. <laughs> and, and I'm going to go to an island and I don't know where and that's it. It will be interesting to see if he gets caught while cashing that out. Yeah. We've actually discussed this yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's interesting how he's going to go do cash out. But if, if he made such a really big infrastructure of, I, I don't know, encrypting probably thousands of customers... I hope I hope they catch him. And unfortunately, I don't see this going away anytime soon. We're starting to see, and there was uh, reports um, just this week about uh, some other malware variants enhancing their capability to provide better customer service, so that they can scale up and uh, and target the larger enterprises. Amazing. I think the punchline really is have a plan. Make sure that you know how to recover from something like this. Test your backups. Make sure your backups are in a truck or off-site or somewhere away from the network. And I have, and I have some prevention capability. Make sure you have, you know, don't just have a firewall that's passing packets. Definitely have 
you know, the, the higher levels of security that, that you need to meet today's kinds of threats. Um, you, you know, and look at those logs. Like, uh, and when we talk about a detection and response plan, it, it does mean that. It's like, where possible, prevent the threat because, you know, uh, an ounce of a cure prevent, prevents a... Uh, an ounce of prevention, prevention. prevents... Uh, is it a pound of cure? Sure. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Again, again. Come <clears throat> again, come again with this sentence. An ounce of pre- prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you just spend a little mm-hmm. bit of time... Patching your stuff and, and that. Have you ever been uh, invited for a, a drill to test uh, the plan to see if they're ready for a... Uh... Yeah, yeah that, that's something that we do with our customers on an almost weekly basis. Uh, our consulting team uh, does that regularly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A red team kind of service. Uh, not, not red team, it's uh, sitting down, running through the plans. We create a scenario based oh, on the expertise of, of the attacks and we customize it to their customer environment and we say, hey, uh, you know, X data has been stolen from your systems, respond. Uh, and, and we build in fun little scenarios. And it's definitely interesting. It's interesting also there when we do that with the executives, how whilst they understand there is a plan, they don't always understand the stress and the, the impact that stress has on your decision-making skills and decision-making capabilities. And, and we actually induce that stress uh, through several means, um, like by in, you know, making uh, short time frames and everything else and kind of amping up the stress in, in the environment. Uh, and it's actually very interesting to see how bad decisions are made in, the, in those kinds of environments mm-hmm. as well. Do you get calls from customers? Like, do you have tapes of, uh, of the actual phone call of, of, of someone calling to... Uh... We typically don't record any of the calls that come in. Actually, we never record any of the calls that come in, um, but I can re- recreate it. You know, it's, it's typically the same story every yeah. time, you know. Yeah, at our uh, CPX this year, there was actually uh, our global head, Dan uh, Wiley Accident, uh, played a... Uh, a spoofed recording of uh, of a typical uh, case uh, f- from us. Help me, my network's on fire. M- maybe we can play the uh, Dan Riley's uh, spoofed uh, conversation. Uh, I-, I think it might increase the amount of uh, companies that have a- actually make a plan. And, and and that can also be a planning for our next episode. I mean, uh, absolutely. You know, we also we al- always have something to strive for. The level of panic is what is the problem or, or what the customers are conveying when they first call in and you kind of got to be chill and let them know everything's going to be okay even though their house is on fire but think about it you know those persons who are actually calling you are probably either the cios the CISOs, or or the it administrators that are in charge of the entire network security and they're like okay basically i'm in i'm in a real big trouble and i need a savior that comes in and saves my job, you know, and I can understand where the stress is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think experience has shown and it was made actually public in the Singh Health report as well from Singapore Health when they had their breach. The earlier you notify and the earlier you reach out, the better the situation is. Whilst it's easy to try and stick your head in the sand and try and forget about it, it's only going to make the situation worse. The the size of the compromise will only spread. The, the sooner you respond, the sooner you, you reach out and ask for help, whether it's teams like ours, whether it's national certs, and there's many resources out that they will assist you, the better off you are. Because the longer uh, you know, the attack is in there, the, it gets significantly worse. That, that's actually a great piece of advice. You know, The quicker that you call out, the better your situation it is. Mm-hmm.
Okay, I think we're done for today. Thank you for very, very much, all of you, for the really interesting discussion that we had here. We'll make sure to continue this great run over next episode. Uh, thank you, our listeners, for joining for the fifth episode. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.